How's it going, City Church? We doing well? Everybody survive Thanksgiving? Yeah? If you're a Michigan fan, Thanksgiving was a breeze compared to yesterday, right? Sorry. I, di- I dished it on Ohio State when they played Purdue. Remember that? Yeah? Okay. Um, O-H-I-O. <laughs> uh, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> No, everybody made it through Thanksgiving. How many of you were at a Thanksgiving that had a host that was just ridiculous, over-the-top, um, insane? Like, they're, they're so extra, they can't help themselves. Like, anybody know? Here's what I'm talking about. Like, you walk in, and, and Pinterest has thrown up all over the dining room table. There, there are centerpieces and napkin rings and, and themed decorations that were put together with hot glue guns and, and who knows what supplies. Um, they, they told you the name of the turkey that was butchered in the backyard the day before, and it only ate grasses that were certain shades of green, like to make it the happiest turkey in the world. You, you, you get the picture, right? Yeah, that person, right? We've all been there, that host. And it, I just want, if you're that host, this is a safe space for you, okay? It's all right. I, we share way more in common than I would ever like to admit from this stage, but I get you. And, and it's okay, no judgment. Um, no, we've, we've all been there. That person that like, they just can't help themselves. They take something and, and they can't just do it. They have to do it on a level that is extreme. And, and I say that because the words that we're gonna look at today, the words of Jesus, Jesus goes next level. Like he just takes things to a completely different place. He goes way over the top. He says ridiculous things. And that's hard, right? This is, this is another sermon in the series, um, Stranger Things. If you're new to us or just visiting with the holidays, we're not doing a series on the occult based on our set. Um, we, we are in a series called Stranger Things that uh, is, is modeled sort of loosely after the Netflix series of the same name. And, and that set makes a lot of sense if you're familiar with Stranger Things. If it doesn't, it just looks creepy. Um, so, so we're walking through Stranger Things, and, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that Jesus preached that was found in Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. And, and it is a sermon in which Jesus is examining the world that we live in. And it's not hard to see the world that we live in is a bit broken, right? It's backwards. It is upside down, as Stranger Things would say it. And Jesus offers a different reality. A reality that is available to people who follow him. A world that is right side up in an upside down world. And that world, that right side up is called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is, is where we see things working the way they should if God were completely in charge of everything. Right? The original vision that God had for humanity in Genesis 1 and 2 where he says, go, be fruitful, flourish, multiply, build, create. If that had continued, that's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is inviting us to live in the kingdom of God now, which is very, very different from the world that is around us. And so since October, we've been unpacking a string of statements that Jesus makes, teachings where where he unpacks something that was told to the Israelite people from their law or the prophets or rabbinic tradition. He says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And And he states exactly what it is that the Jewish law said, what it forbid or commanded to be done, 
And he said, you know, this is what it says, but then he takes it to a different level and he looks at what's the heart motive that is driving that behavior. And, and so we've looked at, at murder and how Jesus goes to the heart level and says, this is not just about murder. This is about anger and contempt that grows into murder. We looked at adultery, which actually starts as lust, which is born out of contempt for another human being. We've looked at, at divorce, which is really not so much about the final consequence of divorce. It's about the hard-heartedness that exists within us in our relationships. We've looked at our oaths and, and vows and promises that people make. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Really what's going on at the heart level is this has to do with your integrity. And so now Jesus carries on and he offers this. It's Matthew, Matthew 5 and it starts in verse 38. And, and we'll have the words here up on the screen um, I encourage you to find them in your Bible. If you, if you don't have a Bible, come find me afterwards and we'll get you one. Um, it, we encourage you to, to look in your Bible, whether that's print or electronic, whatever version, but look in your Bible and bring your Bible to church with you because it's, it's not just words that are on a screen. These are words that are available to you all the time. We want you to be able to make notes and, and to, to personalize this for you. So Matthew 5, starting at verse 38. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, see what I mean? Like just over the top. Right? That last statement, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is a ridiculous statement. I know. I promise. By the end of this, we'll get to it. But Jesus, we've got to first look at these, these first set of commands that he gives. Right, starting in verse 38, Jesus is bringing up the law, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. This is not, this is a, an integral part of, of the Judeo law, but this is not unique to Jewish law. Right, if you study law, there's a Latin term, the lex talionis, and this is present in a lot of ancient cultures, and, and that is eye for eye. This idea that what you do to somebody else, there should be an equal action against you. Right? This is, this is like built into justice systems. Right? We have versions of it ourselves, and it may not be physical, but we have this, these mechanisms in place that say there should be a punishment that fits the crime. And, and this method, it, it seems a little barbaric, maybe a little brutal to us when we think about eyes being gouged out, but really this, this was an act of, of protection for people. This is a safeguard built into the society that, it, that articulated it, right? What it's doing is ensuring that justice is served, 
right? Instead of just hoping that something sort of suffices, like, no, if you do this, this is going to happen. And that should prevent you from wanting to do something bad to somebody else, right? I don't want to gouge someone's eye out if I know that my eye is going to be gouged out. That's not a fun day. The other thing that it does is it builds in a safeguard against the escalation of revenge, right? It does not take a thorough study of history or common events to know that revenge is one of the most destructive forces humanity has ever known. It is so easy for an offense to be escalated, to be escalated, to be escalated until we have things like the Hatfields and McCoys. Right, just crazy feuds that were born out of, out of someone needing revenge. And so this idea eye for eye is built to combat that, to keep things stopped at the level of offense where they occurred. But Jesus doesn't leave that alone. He goes to a completely different level. And he says, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person, right? He calls a spade a spade. He says there are some people who are evil, and evil people don't resist them. And then he gives four illustrations. He gives four examples that are so much more than examples of violence. And these all impact different elements of life, and we're just gonna walk through them together. The first one that Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Okay, there there are some cultural dynamics in play here. There are just some physical dynamics that are in play, and so you're going to help each other discover that. Why don't you turn to the person next to you? I'm serious. Like, like just do the little turn. Turn to the person next to you. Yeah, you can do it. (laughs) Now, raise your right hand. Okay? Some of you are not looking at the person next to you. Like, face them. (laughs) If you were looking at each other directly, Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, okay, I'm assuming you're all right-handed. I know you're not, but in Jesus' day, left-handed people were thought of as shady, untrustworthy, (laughs) evil people, okay? Praise the Lord, we don't exist in that world today, um, but, but for real, Jesus would not have, nobody would have thought Jesus was talking about a left-handed person. If you were holding up your right hand and you were looking at the right cheek of the person facing you, how are you going to hit, how are you going to slap their right cheek? I have to do this. I have to backhand them. That's Intentional. You can actually look back in rabbinic literature and find out that like there there are instances where people have done all sorts of things and instead of just like hitting each other, you can pay a fine. And if someone were to slap somebody in the face, say the fine is 100 bucks. It's $100 unless you backhanded them. Then it's $200. Because it wasn't just about a slap in the face, it was about disrespecting them. Jesus is not just talking about violence. Jesus is talking about disrespect. Jesus is saying that when someone disrespects you, everything in you wants revenge. But a kingdom of God 
response is to offer love and compassion and mercy. Moving on. Jesus says, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Again, some cultural dynamics. Men wore two garments all the time. They had an inner garment, like a shirt, and then a cloak or a coat. Right? And there were actually provisions in the Jewish law that said, you can't take another guy's coat. You can't take the cloak. Because not only does it protect them from the elements, but that's their blanket for sleeping. It's, it's a basic human need. You cannot ever take a cloak from another Israelite for any reason. And so what, what would legally be open to you if you wanted to sue somebody for whatever reason, and say they don't have much, but you want to sue them for their shirt, that's legally available to you. And Jesus says, if someone wants to personally attack you like that, if somebody wants to take you to court and they want to sue you for your shirt, go ahead and take off the thing that they're not ever supposed to be able to have and offer that to them as well. Right? In the face of a personal attack, step outside of social norms and offer grace and hospitality to the very people who are opposing you. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is something that was specific to people who lived in the Roman Empire. Right? The Romans had a custom that if you were an occupied or conquered people, which the Israelites were, at any point, if you were a subject of the Roman Empire and a Roman soldier was walking along the road, they could tell you, carry my things, all of my gear for a mile. And that was nice for soldiers, right? That's a nice break to be able to offload everything and be carried. But it's also a really, really good physical and mental reminder that we control you. You are ours. And every mile that they forced somebody to carry their things was an act of oppression. And so Jesus says, when when they force you to do that, go ahead and... And just carry it two miles. Right? When the government acts against you, respond with generosity and kindness and service, not outrage. Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus is now hitting our pocketbooks. Right? He's attacking our economics. He's not giving any instructions about amortization tables or interest rates or even the expectation that you are going to be paid back. Jesus says, for the draining, taxing, tolling person in your life, your response should be generosity and hospitality. So at this point, it's really easy to think, This is nice, but it's not practical, right? This is a ridiculous way for somebody to live. This is nice for Jesus to say, I can nod my head in a sermon, but try living this in the real world. And before you can move forward with the rest of this sermon, you have to answer two questions. The first one is, 
did Jesus actually believe this was possible? Like, did Jesus actually think that, that we could live this way, to, to not respond with revenge or retribution, but to respond with love in every circumstance? I'll tell you, not only did Jesus believe it, but he lived it, every bit of it. Matthew, Matthew 26, if you look at the story of Jesus on trial, he's accused of blasphemy. Charges are brought against him. And the Jewish leaders slap and spit in the face of Jesus. And his response, he offers them the other cheek. Jesus would have his shirt and his coat taken from him while he hung on a cross and Roman soldiers rolled dice to see who would take them home. Roman soldiers who didn't just force Jesus to walk a mile but forced him to carry his own cross to his execution. There's absolutely no question. Jesus did not just believe this. Jesus was describing his life. This is the way I am. This is what life with me looks like. Right? So the second question you have to ask, not just did Jesus believe this was possible, but do I believe that Jesus' way is the best way? And it's really easy to think, yeah, I, I believe Jesus, and I believe he's got the best way, but, but what he's describing here is just being a doormat. I'm going to tell you, that's not anything close to what Jesus is describing. Jesus is not advocating for passivity. Jesus is not advocating for you to be walked all over. Jesus is offering you the only thing that is actually strong enough to beat evil. That's love. And that might sound like a greeting card, but, but it's true. Jesus is actually offering the only thing that is capable of defeating evil and evil people, and that is love. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the the German pastor and theologian that was a a firm opponent of, of Nazi rule in Germany leading up to and during World War II, he firmly believed this. He wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship, that is is absolutely jarring. And he walks through the Sermon on the Mount and he talks about this. And and Diedrich Bonhoeffer is not just somebody who articulated some words. He is somebody that really did believe this because Diedrich Bonhoeffer died in 1945 at Flossenburg Concentration Camp two weeks before it was liberated by U.S. forces. Diedrich Bonhoeffer writes on this very subject. He says, Evil will become powerless when it finds no opposing object, no resistance, but instead is willingly born and suffered. There, evil meets an opponent for which it is not a match. By choosing to live out these kingdom ethics of Jesus, these right-side-up ethics of Jesus, you are taking power away from evil people. Right? The disciple of Jesus 
is not just a doormat. The disciple of Jesus responds to evil. She responds with resolve and conviction and boundaries, but more than anything, she responds with love. Those are not mutually exclusive things. What Jesus is saying is take the ammo out of your gun. You really want to win. You really want to flourish. You really want to live right side up. Don't fight back. Don't play their game. That system is broken and you know it. So stop contributing to it. This, this need for revenge and retribution over and over and over again, it doesn't get us anywhere. And so I invite you into a life that is different. Right? When you find yourself facing disrespect, you offer love and grace. When you find yourself personally, legally attacked, you offer love and compassion. To evil political structures, you offer love and servitude. To draining requests, you offer love and compassion and generosity. I want you to imagine a world in which public discourse and social interactions were filled with people speaking with compassion instead of seeking revenge. Where courts are empty Because Christians have made every act of generosity, grace, and mercy imaginable to be at peace with their neighbors before things ever got there. Where Christians were known not for what political issues outraged us, but rather the beautiful, absurd ways in which we served, blessed, and loved the very people we disagreed with. That is a different world. That's in a world that is completely upside down from the one that we're in. I think that's a world where people could flourish and have life. Is that possible? Like, like really, how, how do we do that? It's one thing for Jesus to say it. It's one thing for Jesus to do it. What about us? Answers in the next six verses. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The key to all of this, the key to every law that Jesus has spoken on is loving your enemies. Right? Everything can be summed up. Love God, love others. The hardest ones to love are enemies. If you can love your enemies, you can do anything. And, and in verse 45, there's a phrase that Jesus says 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Right? And there are some versions that that reads, you will be sons of your Father in heaven. In 2011, the NIV changed a lot of the pronouns to make them more gender-inclusive. And I'm all about that. I think it's great. I, want, I think the Bible speaks to men and women at the same time. I'm cool with that. Here they got it wrong. Jesus said, sons of your Father in heaven. And Matthew wrote it down that way for a reason. It doesn't have anything to do with a family structure. Two of Jesus' disciples... James and John. Anybody know their nickname? The Sons of Thunder. Nobody thought their daddy was Thunder. They were called that because they resembled Thunder. They were loud and powerful and strong and intimidating. And so people said they are sons of Thunder. They resemble Thunder. And so Jesus is saying, love your enemies so that you will be sons of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies so that you resemble God. Because the fact is, you never look more like God than when you love your enemy. Consistently throughout Scripture, throughout all of Scripture, in the words of Jesus leading up to this and immediately after it, He makes it clear, God loves everyone, even his enemies. He makes his son go up and down on good people and bad people. He sends rain on righteous people, unrighteous people. doesn't matter what camp you fall in, God has mercy and grace for you. And if you want to be like him, you should love your enemies. He points out, he says, I mean, loving, loving the people that already love you, everybody does that. He picks the two worst things that his audience could have possibly imagined, a tax collector and someone who didn't belong to the ethnic nation of Israel. And he says, yeah, those guys, they already do that. There's nothing special about that. You want to be like God. Love your enemies. I would ask you, you don't have to write it down, you don't have to say it out loud, but I would invite you to have a really honest conversation with yourself. Who is your enemy? Who do you perceive to be your enemy? Republicans? Democrats? White people? Black people? Brown people? People with a different sexual orientation from you? Russians? Muslims? Immigrants? Who do you think is your enemy? Maybe it's way more personal than that. Maybe it's the coworker that takes all the credit and does none of the work. It's the abortion doctor that you don't think values life. Or maybe it's the person that pickets abortion clinics and has no measure of love or grace in their heart for you. Maybe it's the family member that has completely shattered any bit of trust that ever existed. Who is your enemy? Jesus says... 
Love them. Love them. If you want life with me, you will be like me. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word perfect is a horrible translation. We read the word perfect and we think moral perfection, which is true of God. He is morally perfect, there's no question. But the Greek word there, teleos, a better, a better translation would be whole or complete or single-minded or completely focused on. Jesus is saying, you should be holy, heart-level, life-encompassed, totally committed to loving others the way that God is. Right? God is completely committed to loving everyone, even his enemies. Scripture tells us that while we were his enemies, God loved us. God loves his enemies so much that as he was hanging on a cross, he lived out his words and he prayed for the people who put him there. Before you ever made a decision, do I want to follow Jesus or not, he loved you. Before you ever fell into any camp of righteous or unrighteous, good or bad, hypocritical or not, Jesus loved you. He loved you enough to die for you. He offers you a gift. He offers you life with him. On the cross, he took the very worst of evil, and he did not resist it. And what looked like complete defeat in his death was actually absolute victory. Because three days later, he rose. And with his life, he offers you new life. He invites you to surrender your life. To surrender your anger, your contempt, your hard heart, your integrity, your desire for revenge. He invites you to surrender all of it so that you can find new life in him. Life that is very different from the world we live in. Life that is right side up. Life that is able to conquer anything. And so to move forward from today, you have to ask yourself two questions. One of them we've already asked. Do you believe Jesus' way is the best way? Yes, it might look upside down, but we've acknowledged that this world is broken. Do you believe that Jesus' way is a better way than what you've got? Is it the best way? And the second is, second question you have to ask yourself is do I want to take him up on his offer do I want to join him do I want to live in the kingdom of God now do I want to live in a way that is different do I want to live in a way that is forgiven that has been shown mercy that has been loved in a way that nobody else will 
live in a way that allows that love to permeate every part of me so that I can give it away to the world around me. It is a love that can, that can topple forces as powerful as the Roman Empire. It's a love that can conquer death and evil. Bring your best. That's the life that Jesus invites you to, and there's nothing you do to earn it. There's nothing you do to, to disqualify yourself from it. It is the love that he has had from you from day one, and he's offered it to you. The question is, do you want to join him? Do you want to live with him? Do you want to learn from him, to be his apprentice, to be his disciple, to live out that love? say yes. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you're good. Thank you for loving us even when we were enemies. Thank you for loving us regardless of all the ways that we have fallen short. Jesus, may we be people right side up in an upside down world. Just I pray for anyone who has not yet said, I'll take you up on the deal. God, I pray for anyone who is tired doing the same old thing they've always been doing, just hoping that, that at some point revenge or retribution will make them feel better. God, may they experience the freedom that exists in you. Lord, you are good. You're the best. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.